Welcome to episode number 26 of the Boxing Coaches Podcast. Today's guest is Mark Collins. Mark is a full-time coach working for DICE, England Boxing's educational programme. He's also a coach for Limehouse ABC in London, as well as being a boxing author, releasing several articles and books over the years. Uh, Today we talk about the age-old pub debate, old school versus new school coaching using examples of revered coaches from the 20th and the 21st century. So, here it is. Enjoy. Okay, Mark, how you doing, mate? You well today? Yeah, very good, Adam. Fantastic. So, if you'd like to just give everyone, um, I know some people will know you, but for those who don't, you'd just like to give them uh, a bit of a potted history as to who you are and what you do, mate. Yeah, well, I'm a full-time boxing coach. Um I've been for 10 years, I work on the same, similar um, thing as you, Adam, uh, boxing education in schools, in colleges. Um, before that, I was uh, an amateur boxer in the 1980s, started when I was 12, um, boxed for Radcliffe ABC, Greater Manchester. Then I boxed over at the Moss Side Club with Phil Martin, who was a very innovative coach, probably the best coach that I've work with um, and then um, stopped boxing when I was about 18 and wanted to stay in boxing so got into coaching and then um, started writing bits of articles for boxing news um, and from there it went to writing a couple of books um, working on a as a consultant on a TV program about Muhammad Ali so within that period I've met a lot of major characters in boxing, um, all the big names, Frazier, Ali, Marvin Hagler, a lot of the big coaches, Teddy Atlas, Angelo Dundee and on. Um, so that's that's the basic backstory. Yeah, so I, I thought you'd be the ideal person to have this conversation with today. Um, yeah. And um, as we mentioned offline, almost like a it's, it's the ultimate pub debate. Mm-hmm. Two guys sitting down, pint of the hand, talking about the old school versus the new school you know mm. is the new school getting better um or are we going backwards it's almost like that progression versus regression um of um of, of boxing coaching so uh yeah and again offline we we said it was going to be a massive massive monster to tackle mm. this one uh, mm. because i don't think there is a right or wrong answer but let's try and uh, pick pick the bones out of some mm. of it so um Again, you mentioned about uh, to me beforehand that there's a couple of really good examples to almost do a bit of a, a head-to-head. I don't know if that's the right mm. way to say it, but um, mm. your knowledge on Ray Arcel and um, um, as the old school and Anatoly mm. Lomachenko, who's of course, yeah. of course Vasily's coach. Um, so, would you like to try if we can to go into that? Yeah, I thought I thought they'd be two interesting examples because there's certain similarities. I mean, Ray Arcel started. Um, his coaching career in the 1920s. So he was around fighters such as um, Benny Leonard, um, the um, great Jack Dempsey, um, Ted Kid Lewis, um, who actually is mentor, Ray Arcel's mentor, a guy called Di Dollings, who, who was a marathon runner from Wales. He used to coach Ted Kid Lewis and Arcel very much got um, his taste for the sport hanging about with Di Dollings. Um, so Arcel was seen as a professor of the of the game, learnt his trade um, from watching these coaches all the way through the early part of the 20th century 
uh, and he worked all the way through, so from the 1920s all the way through into the 80s, where he, he looked after um, Roberto Duran and, and Larry Holmes. So, you know, he, he covers the whole of the 20th century. At Lomachenko, similar to Arcel, the father of Lomachenko, Anatoly, uh, again, a professor of the sport, uh, uses lots of creative methods, uh, he's, a, he's a, a very much a thinker, uh, like Arcel, he didn't have a vast career as a, as a boxer. I think he boxed amateurs. Ray Arcel did a little bit as an amateur. Um, but both of them were, think, uh, you know, were thinking men. Uh, Lomachenko was a PE teacher who was brought up within the Soviet system, uh, 1980s Soviet Union. So um, two interesting characters, both professors of the sport and operating at different times. So I thought those two would be a very good example to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And um, sort of fast forward now to, to 2019. Mm. Um, I think a lot of what we see um, and a lot of information that we take as coaches is, is probably based on social media. Mm. And, um, you know, maybe it might be a 20-second video of someone on pads or, a, you know, a, a little sparring session or something like that. And um, I, th- I think we have this kind of copycat culture at the moment. So that's a good idea. And, and we steal the ideas. And I'm not saying that stealing ideas is a bad thing in coaching because, you know, I've, I've heard this phrase, a, a good coach is a good thief. You know, mm. You, mm. you take the information that, that you want uh, from uh, from the things and the information that you see. But in, in terms of social media, um, good thing or bad thing? I know that's a bit of a monster of a question. I think I think everything's good, isn't it? You know, if if it's used in the right way. I mean, if you can get ideas from anywhere. I mean, for, I'll say, again, using these two as examples. I mean, like I say, Ray Arcel was was a long distance runner. Um, he was also a, a quite a, a substantial reader. He, he, you know, he, he he existing in a time where if you were a poor person like he was, poor Jewish background, you didn't go to university. You didn't. Um, you know, go to uh, a college or anything like that. He hardly had any schooling. So Ray Arcel's intelligence came from the fact that he would be a great observer of, of life and um, he, his knowledge of sport was through mainly through running and also he would go down to the public library to get books of all kinds of different types. Uh, and in the, some of the methods that he used were, were kind of, you know, um, based on observations of people. You know, I'll give you one example um, he saw a boxing coach who used um, chewing tobacco to um, knit together a cut in between rounds. So, you know how crazy that sounds now. But, you know, he'd have a plug of tobacco in, in, his, in the side of his mouth. And in between the rounds, this is the guy he was looking at. He would, he would see the guy spit into his hand and put that into the, into the uh, wound as, as well as the other preparation uh, stuff that he'd got. So Arcel actually himself tried, you know, tried using that, which is like insane. In fact, it made him incredibly sick, apparently. But um, but the fact the fact is that he, his his social media was the fact that he was there at at fights at these venues um, in bars, um, trying to just and just soaking up what what whatever he could see. And some of it worked, and some of it didn't work. And and social media is the exact same thing. You know, there's there's good things on there. There's good things on YouTube. There's, al- there's also rubbish things on, on YouTube and social media. So I don't think it's good or bad. I think it's just, it's 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 down to the observer and also the, the fact that you would try it and see if it works. You know, there's nothing wrong in trying crazy things like the 
chewing tobacco, although I wouldn't recommend that today. I wonder if he's actually missed an opportunity there to patent sort of nicotine patches there. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He could have retired. Yeah, that, that, that's a true. That's a true story. That that, that he he says that a few. He said that a few times in his book, which that's just an example anyway. But um, but yeah, I, I think you you can use you can use any anything you know. And going on to Anatoly um, Lomachenko, a lot of the things that he's using, um, the you know the sort of swimming drills that Lomachenko does which in the past um, swimming wasn't seen as being a good thing for a boxer to do because they thought that it was it, it would kind of the, the the actual motion of swimming was like slowing down uh, the um, you know the, the the sort of muscular um, fast twitch muscles if you like you know that it wasn't you know the whole action of swimming wasn't seen as being a, a good thing for a boxer but Lomachenko's dad um, uses it on a, on a regular basis with Lomachenko, you know, and also a lot of what he does is with these kind of underwater breathing techniques, which, you know, he, he, which is part physical for Lomachenko and, and very much a mental thing for him as well to take him to the point of where he can't hold his breath anymore, which is like similar to being in the dark waters of a 12 round fight, you know. So again, both of those, Arcel and, and Lomachenko, they would use, you know, they, they they open their eyes to as many different things that relate to their athlete as, as possible. And I think what's one thing you've mentioned there is you've mentioned about being, you know, are we able as coaches to be critical of what we see? So as you said, you might see something on YouTube or you might see something that Anatoly Lomachenko is doing. Mm. Have you got that ability to actually be critical of what they're doing? Why are they doing it? What benefits might it have? Rather than oh, there's something they they've got a great reputation, so mm-hmm. I'm going to try it on my boxer. But it might not mm-hmm. be a fit for the boxer. It might not be a, a fit for that boxer. And of course, you know the things like the water. You know they're holding the head yeah. under the water. We can't get away yeah. with that in England, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Are, you know, are we missing that whole ability to to be critical nowadays? Um, yeah, I think I think again the the similarities between the two, Arcel and Lomachenko Senior, Anatoly Lomachenko. Um, they would u- use methods that suited their fighter. So not every not every fighter is the same. Not every fighter is going to respond, obviously, to having to you know swim underwater until they can't breathe anymore. You know, uh, e- equally um, in our cells day, where they would use different methods, like you know all kinds of things, you know, sort of chopping down trees. Um, they would use even, even uh, you know, sort of very um, harsh methods of running in, you know, um, very cold temperatures, you know, like in, can you imagine New York in 1920s where it's, it's freezing cold and you imagine the sort of tracksuits that they would have to wear that, nothing like today. They would be wearing jumpers and sort of, you know, flat, flat bottom shoes, you know. So, so a lot of the, a, a lot of the methods, that they would use, obviously they would use them, both those being good coaches, in my opinion, they would use them because it would suit that particular fighter. So what would what would suit one may not suit the other. And I think that's the point of sort of anything you pick off YouTube or social media. You as the coach need to know your boxer. And that, that again, is what makes a good coach, in, in my opinion. You know, that they, they know the fighter well and they know that it's not one size fits all. And I'm, you know, as you say that, things are jumping into my head. You know, the people like Arcel, 
uh, Eddie Futch, uh, Customato, all these people. And you yeah. just think to yourself, yes, they have that relationship with the boxer, you know, and, and, and perhaps on the whole, more so than a lot of the coaches do nowadays. You know, again, I'm generalising, yeah. of course, Mass yeah. obviously some professional coach nowadays, you know, they mm. have that mm. fantastic relationship with the coaches. But are, are we missing something that we can learn from the old school about actually how we get relationship, how we make relationships uh, with our I, boxers? I don't, I don't know whether it's, I don't know whether it's missing something, but what, 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 it was kind of forced upon them. Because if you think back to when Arcel was operating, that was like the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, what, what was considered like the golden era of boxing to, to some historians. The, there, was, there was no television. There was obviously no mobile phones, no internet, nothing like that. So it was all about the live gate. It was all about, you know, fighting. The only, t- the only way you would go and see a, fi- a fight is, is if you went to the, the actual venue itself. And... It was also a time when there was thousands and thousands of fighters because traditionally, you know, the boxing has served um, a lot of the poor, you know, incredibly poor as they were back then during the Depression years, the 1930s. So Arcel was very much a working coach. You know, he'd be out there four or five times a week, sometimes more, working with maybe three or four fighters in, on, on one, uh, at one show. Um, so these these coaches then were living in the gym. They were living in the gym, and then then they were they were living in the gym in the day, and then they would be uh, in the corner in the evening, and that would just be ongoing. And the fighters that came to them wanted to fight. They wanted to fight because they they needed to live, you know. And and that and that that was the point of boxing back then. It was it was a way of very poor people earning earning some money, and the more they fought the more chance that they had of putting food on the table. And those guys used to box, you know, two, three times a month. And hence why when you look back at the records of fighters, that are some of the fighters that Arcel worked with, Ezard Charles, Benny Leonard, Tony Zale, these guys had 100, 200 fights as, as professional boxers. You know, so it, the whole time and context then, was very different than it is now, even down to the, the gloves that they wore, the six-ounce gloves, the liberal use of the gum shield, uh, the fact that they were going sometimes with fighters 20, 30 pounds heavier than them. So that you're talking about in terms of mentality, the fighters then very, very tough, very hard men. And they were men, I'm saying men, because it was very much a male sport back then. So, it sounds, so what I'm hearing is it's almost like that how society was, how the economy was yeah. uh, back in those days, it's almost kind of forced them to be resilient because yeah. of the lack of, uh, mm-hmm. lack of luxury and, and definitely the lack of options to do other yeah. things. Yeah. Um, it's kind of actually forcing them along this, this, this mm. route. Um, so, you know, nowadays we always hear these things about the snowflake generations and um, mm. how do they call it? Millennials and things like that. Mm. And then you always hear every generation saying, that we were tougher than than the generation that's just followed mm. us, you know, and we did it different in our day, and we were tougher, and 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 mm. this, that, and the other. Um, you know, is that a problem in boxing nowadays? You know, is, are there too many options? Are we being are the generations that are coming in less and less resilient? I I think about it quite a lot because I I you know I spend a lot of time with boxers, and I have done for a number of years, and. I can I can honestly can't take myself back to the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties. I can only read 
about it and I can only and like I say I've, I've, I've spoken to when he was still alive Angelo Dundee Lou Duva various old school and even Teddy Atlas and, and who said that fighters back then 30s, 40s, 50s in terms of their mentality in terms of them wanting to do it their will to fight would embarrass the fighters many of the fighters that are around today so they, they boil it down to the, the psychology the, the, the toughness the will to win uh, as being more more in line with what a fighter should be back then than it is now. So that's coming from me. Even, I remember even Teddy Atlas saying that to me, who's worked with a lot and knew a lot of the old school trainers as well, including Kosti Amato, uh, obviously. Interestingly, I think with Lomachenko, he, having grown up within that at the tail end of the Soviet system, which was very, very harsh, very austere, and his dad uh, of been grown, grown up in that like the, you know sort of the 1960s 1970s of Soviet society it's, I think as a sort of psychological resilience as, as there was going back to the 1930s 1940s 50s in America I think I think there's a sort of similarities there in terms of that will to do it you know and, and I think that's why it's quite interesting that, that um, you, you, there's, there's definite similarities between Soviet, Soviet 60s, 70s, and 80s with the, that, that era of American boxing. And I see that's why I think you get quite a lot, you're getting quite a lot of success with the Eastern European boxers who are coming, coming through, like Lomachenko, Usyk, and, you know, and, and on, really. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm kind of thinking about, um, I've, I think it was yourself, actually, that gave me a bit of a recommendation of a film, The Red Army, about the Soviet... Um, Soviet regime with the ice hockey, and I can't remember the name of the coach. He he was called. I think he was also called Anatoly Tasarov or Tarasov. Tasarov or Tarasov. Well, so, yeah, yeah. You'd have to look that up for the yeah Tasarov. I'm sure it was that. And um, yeah, I remember yeah. watching that, and it's the first thing that jumped to mind when you commented about. I mean, obviously, we're a lot further down the line than the days of Ray Arsenal. Um, yeah, uh, but it's kind of um, yeah, it's that kind of. You know, they do they still have that kind of mentality over there where they actually are kind of denied that lack of options, so they have that mental resilience over in the uh, over in the Eastern Bloc. Well, they certainly well they certainly were, and I, and I, and I, and and I think also it's in in big parts of it. You take the Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine's went through a sort of kind of a civil war in the past sort of ten, ten years. Uh, so it's it, there's a certain there's still a certain harshness that exists there, but I think what you've got is you've got the, the obviously the rising opportunities for athletes from Eastern Europe which didn't exist in you know the 1980s. You had to stay within the Soviet system. So then they're given the opportunities to make money to be successful. But a, alongside that, you've also got the training methods that came from the Soviet Union, which again, like ourselves and like those old greats in the 20s and 30s out of necessity came a lot of creativity. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, if, if there's one takeaway you can take from this whole conversation, out of necessity came creativity. Um, so that application of the kind of cutting edge sports science that they have over there, um, mm. mixed in with that uh, kind of uh, culturally relevant hardness or resilience um, can only really add to one thing. And, you know, and, and perhaps that is success. So, you know, is that something that we can reflect on in our modern coaching? Is something that we need to, because uh, I think we have over here, we have a really good um, 
I don't know if understanding, but we have a lot of access to sports science nowadays. Mm. You know, mm. there's there's all this kind of type of testing. There's a a, a lot more understanding of the uh, the principles of biomechanics and physiology and things like that. But um, you know, we we have that. It, it, I wonder, and it's something that's been in the back of my mind. I wonder with all that knowledge, are we then? Um, yes, of course, it makes us better athletes, but is it detracting away from the modern day boxer's psyche? The fact that things are kind of put on the plate for them. I I think I think it. I think it can do. I think it's like anything. If it's not used in the right ways, then it can have that adverse effect. And it can also, I, I think the over, you know, the over, you know, and I don't know whether this, how much this happens, but, you know, overemphasis on, on data, overemphasis on, um, you know, when, uh, you know, f- uh, how much protein a box should take in after training, um all you know all they're just two examples off the top of my head um you know i think if i'm thinking about the two again to take it back to lomachenko's dad and to rsl i think what they did both did well is they again they they used creative methods that the fighter would appreciate and would relieve i think in some sense the sort of mundanity of the of the the ongoing life of of a fighter so again back to the beginning they understood the fighter once you understood the fighter then you can bring in your own creativity own creative methods you can see when a fighter is enjoying his training you can see when he's not enjoying his training to me that is way more important than uh you know data um you know eating a a nutrition bar straight after your, your session or glass of milk or whatever that is a fighter enjoying it are they uh peaking have they flattened out um all that kind of stuff that that observational data is to me the most important thing and i think through all the complex various like all kinds of different methods that you can use these days i think we've lost sight of that a little bit what what do you think i completely agree with you i mean um, again, everything you're doing is just everything you're saying to me right now is just kind of uh, striking up lots of examples in my head. And one thing I can think of right at the moment is this phrase, this use of language on the grind. Mm. You know, and you see it over and over again on social media on the grind. And that yeah. if you're on the grind, that is your um, that is your ticket to success. Grinding. Now, yeah. I'm, I'm not yeah. saying that repetition repetition you, you, that's nothing you know that's not your way to success of course you've got to do the stuff that you have to do you need to do yeah. hard stuff the stuff you don't want to do the stuff that makes it i want to stay in bed but you need to go up and get out and do that mm. run and do those sprints and hit that hill mm. i understand that but i just i just really question this on the grind thing in terms of why does it have to be just repetition can it why can't it be as you mentioned especially about both of these coaches creativity can't we offer yeah. sort of practice design can't we offer a spa can't we offer some, yeah um some games can't we gamify boxing a little bit to be challenging to actually be a little bit more um about creativity rather than just if we repeat 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 we will get better because surely everyone's just going to repeat 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 so exactly. somehow we've got to have that, that edge with creativity so um so let, let's let's move on to that creativity side then so yeah. why why have do we as coaches need to change it up? Well, if you again, you take Lomachenko, Vasily Lomachenko himself, right? 
uh, he and this is quite a well-known fact. I've, I've read this a number of times. I've seen it myself. They say he always smiles with a he always trains with a smile on his face. Right now, you 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 think this is a kid who's been boxing from about the age of six or seven, you know. So that's what what is he now? 30, 31. So so that that's like twenty-three years. Some of that within quite a harsh environment of the Ukraine. Um, so for 23 years, he'd been training, but he still trains with a smile on his face. If you look into what his dad does, he has him, obviously he has him swimming. He has him playing basketball. He has him, you know, doing his going out into the woods, uh, ch chopping trees. He has him uh, out on the beach. He has him play, playing um, crossword, doing crossword puzzles as part of his training. He has him playing chess as part of his training. He has him, you know, you, you, you know, with the ball on the end of the string that all the kids are buying now wanting to be like Lomachenko. He has so many different things that he does within his training regime. And that to me says, and a bit like Ray Arcel would do similar things with his fighters as much as he could, you know, getting them to, um, uh, you know, they would, some of them would, would play chess. Some, all, a lot of fighters would read at that, at that stage anyway, in the 20s, 30s. So he would have fighters reading and uh and keeping them keeping their minds active that's what makes a happy fighter and obviously um Lomachenko's father is it, pouring on the creativity um and I, I think for a young person and so forget about whether they're a fighter or not they're a young person and if they if they're, they're bright and they're enthusiastic they want to they want to do different things they don't want to spend the pit, their peak years just doing the same thing over and over again and, you know, the good coach sees that there's way of, ways of still getting the repetition that we need, but doing it in a different way, you know. And uh, so I, I, th I think I think actually Lomachenko's dad, what he's bringing in is the sort of culmination of where it started with Ray Arcel back in the 20s, using creativity, intelligence and also knowing your fighter inside out and knowing that, the key to boxing or to any sport is to keep that level of enjoyment and interest. So it's, 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 it's a, it's genius. You know, he's a, he's a very much a, a coaching artist as far as I'm concerned. So what I'm hearing here, Mark is, is you mentioned is keeping that repetition. We know we need to get the reps in. We've got to get the reps in, but it's that repetition or variation, or as they call it repetition without repetition. But yeah. They're still rather than going, Right for this week, we're gonna, you know, you need to make sure you've got a hundred bag, hundred rounds done on the back, or a hundred rounds done yeah. of of a certain spar or something yeah. like that. We're offering yeah. different ways to challenge their mind. And there's, there's a lot of uh, learning principles out there at the moment. Um, one thing I've heard quite recently is about firing and wiring. You know, firing yeah. those neurons in your brain to become stimulated mm. with different stimulus. So here's a different drill, if you will. I'm not a big fan of drills, but here's a big, um, here's something slightly mm. different. Here's something different you're going to do in a conditioned spa that really gets you thinking of something completely different on the pads. I've never done that before. Then you're getting out of that kind of mental comfort zone. And then when we actually revisit again, maybe a week later, that's about the wiring part. So you're kind of firming up that wiring. Um, so you mm. fire the wire and then you, you fire it up and then you wire it. So it almost becomes a different pathway for a different result. Um, and, mm. and, and as you said, you know, it couldn't have been a better example. You know, as you said, he's been boxing since seven, did you say? Mm. Yeah. Lomachenko, and now he's in his 30s. You don't stay in a sport like boxing unless you enjoy it. And I can't exactly. imagine having a set routine of doing 10 rounds on the bag, 10 rounds skipping, 10 rounds sparring, 10 rounds on the pads and go home. 
I can't imagine that is the way of keeping safe in the sport. You know, and you lose that kind of if it's fun, it's fundamental aspect of what we're doing. So I don't know whether they 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 know they're doing it, like the Ray Arsenal know he's doing it, or intuitively knew he was doing. It. I I think they did, and and um, I'll give you another example of uh, the Lomachenko what he does. Um, he. And this, this, I think, he's into the, what you said there. You could do different sparring. You could. He does. You see him do that. You see him, you know, two on one, three on one, all that kind of Absolutely, stuff. Absolutely, yeah. But sometimes before his preparation for sparring, instead of maybe doing shadow boxing or whatever, they will have him maybe on a basketball court. This is true, by the way. And they will have him throw 50 three-point baskets as part of his preparation before he would go into the ring. So what is that doing? Number one, it's getting his mind in tune to a task. Number two, it's, it's a sort of, it's, it's physical, you know, like quite an, it's got an, a certain intensity to that exercise. And number three, there's, a, that, there's, there's everything about that sort of hand-eye coordination and, and the difficulty of the task as well. That in, in my mind, is just as good a thing to do before you get into the ring to spar than uh, a, um, uh, you know, like two or three rounds of shadow boxing or, do, 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 do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're offering that, you're offering that stimulus, you're offering that, that challenge. And it's almost like, I'm not really sure what's going to come next and what's going to happen yeah. next. But if I stand yeah. in front of the bag, I know what's and it's happen. fun. I know it's going to happen. Absolutely. It's fun. And I don't, I don't know why, Mark, I, I, you know, fun's almost a dirty word in boxing. You know, because yeah. we see it as if it's fun, it means you're not grinding. There's that bloody word again. You know, it's, it's not on the grind. Um, but hold on, who's the boxer that doesn't get better? The one that doesn't return back to the gym because they're bored. And of course, mm. I think nowadays we have all that. There's there's so many options. You know, we're it's us versus Fortnite. It's us versus Playstations. It's us versus Xboxes. And we're always going to mm. lose that battle. We're always going to lose that fight all the time if we can't make it fun. Fun doesn't mean soft. Fun doesn't mean boring. Fun, you know, fun. Sorry, fun doesn't mean um, that it's not hard. You can make something mm. bloody hard, but come out mm. of it the biggest smile on your face. You know, and I wonder if we're losing a little bit of sight into that. Um, I, I didn't want. I didn't want this conversation to go. And I, I, I knew my mind would go that way a little bit. I knew. I knew we would go a little bit. Um, and me saying the old school's great, and and uh, you know, but I don't want to be too dogmatic on that because there are some amazing leaps I think in boxing especially with the sports science things to get those one percents etc while but whilst maintaining I mean I'm a, I'm a sports scientist myself I did sports science at university so I can't shoot that down but yeah but um that what would you say moving forward is the are we really really progressing in where are we progressing as a sport well I, I, I again I I say that is science as well you know because that example there of the, the the 53 shot baskets before you know in preparation for a, for a session you know there's a science to that because he, he what what Anatoly I've seen Anatoly Lomachenko where he's there with the clicker at, at ringside you know as, as as Lomachenko sparring and he will he will he will write uh, he will make sure that they've got the data on how, how many punches he throws per session he's always heart monitored up. Um, but the the baskets, I think, is the same. You know, they would give him a certain figure of how many baskets go in that would cover a certain amount of time um, based on 
what he's done before. You know, it's it, there's 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 a science to all of that. In the same way that there was a science to what Ray Arcel used to do in the 1920s and 30s, when if a, you know a fighter had a problem with wrist issue or with a hand issue, he would give them certain exercise. There's one example of Gene Tunney, the heavyweight, who had a problem with his wrist and his hand. I, I, I have to check exactly which, but they sent him away as mad as it sounds, to go, go and chop tr trees for a couple of months to build up the strength in his hands and in, and in his wrists, which, which, believe it or not, worked work for him. So there was a sign, that was their uh, sort of scientific method then. But I do think that the both can, can work together. And that, that's what Lomachenko's dad is doing. He's, you, you see him with the clicker watching the sparring. You see him with his son doing the underwater breathing um, uh, techniques and um, that's the mixture of the two it's the old school and the, and the, the scientific combined and that with the will of the fighter to do it is the perfect combination that's that's your that's your holy grail isn't it as the, as the, the boxing coach so it's almost that that meeting of quantifying things you know that sports science yeah. but you know where he's with the yeah. clicker and, and he can give yeah. them hard data back you know and that's a motivational yeah. Yeah. that's a motivation that's right as well and then you've got that yeah. kind of qualitative side about the fun, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, is it quality what we're doing or is the yeah. is the brain switching off? Because we know in this yeah. sport that the most important thing that you've got is your brain. You know, you have to be able to react to a thousand different stimuluses in one second and choose the wrong yeah. decision and, you're, you and you know, bang, we're, we're in trouble. So we have to actually stimulate the brain constantly in boxing to make sure that that is the, the, the prime focus. Are they switched on? so they can make the right decisions at the right times, or are we stripping away those decisions all the time just by perhaps overusing quantifying that, data or, or just telling them the answer all the time? You know, so exactly. it's, it's that blend between... So, um, you know, so I'm glad you said that. They, so call the whole, the flow. they call it the flow. Absolutely, you know, and, and is, flow, is flow quantity versus qualitative, you know, you know yeah. is that part of, of what we're doing? We've all experienced flow, haven't we? You know, and it's the most yeah. liberating, beautiful thing to be in, to be in that state of flow where all your training is just taken over and you can just do and you, you watch it back and go, well, I don't remember doing that. Well, that probably means you're in a state of flow. You know, so how often can we actually um, create an environment where boxers might potentially get into a state of flow? It's understanding that, that to create that, it's the combination of the psychological and the physical coming together, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's the, and and so if you're train if you're using training methods around that around that in with that in mind, then you have the chance and you have the 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 will of the the boxer the fighter to do it. Then you have the chance of that flow being being created, you know, without sort of getting too highfalutin about it. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 the thing as well is is involving the boxer in that. You know, what are their yeah what are their drivers? You know, what what what's what really turns them on in terms of and stimulates them. So I think what, what that do they enjoy? just been told. What what do they enjoy? You know, I mean, Lomachenko likes to play tennis. So what his dad has him doing, he has him playing a game against himself. Can you believe that? He, he, so he'll stand on one side of the court and he will lob, similar to the basketball, again, in preparation, mental preparation, physical preparation, and also fun. He will get him lobbing a tennis ball from one side of the court to the other, and he has to run around the net before the ball has bounced more than once, like in a proper tennis match, and then hit it again, and then run around the other side. And so he's playing a game with himself. I mean, that's that's, uh, that's fantastic. I mean, it must be a fantastic thing to see, and to know 
for Lomachenko to be able to successfully do that over a number of times, one one after the other, he will know that he is physically and men, and, and mentally in tune and also he's having a great time doing it. And, and there it is. So the brain is stimulated, the, yeah. uh, the physical side is stimulated, the strategy yeah. in what he's doing and ultimately, yeah. as you said, he's having a load of fun and want to do that yeah. again. And he's probably yeah. getting a hell of a lot more out of that than just standing here in a bag with you know I mean? low stimulation, with low feedback. You know, the yeah. feedback he's getting from that, that, that what he sees and what he feels is pretty yeah. amazing. So really, um, so what Anatoly's doing is he's, 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 he's creating an environment where the boxer's owning what's going on and adapting yeah. and changing. And, and arguably, Lomachenko is one of the most, if not the most adaptive boxer that we have at the moment. He can work out anyone. He can work out anyone. And so I think that comes from that coaching and the fact that everything that is set for him is principle-based, the Mm. principles of the Mm. sport, which which we always lose, which I know I've lost sight of a lot of times, is hit and don't get hit. Mm. Perception action. What you see is what you then dictates what you do and you know is what we're doing related to perception action is it related to the principles of the sport you know which is hit and don't get hit if if your mind has been active all the way through the training process you've got a lot better chance of that mind once you step into the ring being a concentrated mind and then therefore a mind that is going to be able to be switched on enough to avoid a shot when it comes at it absolutely yeah how many times have we heard this as well as coaches and probably as boxers I always lose the first round. I always give away. Mm. I'm a slow starter. I always give away mm. the first round. Okay, so we've got a bout with three rounds in it. So what we're mm. saying is, there you go, mate. There's 33% of the bout given to you. And if mm. we look at it a bit like this, okay, I'm going to take away 33% of your salary, Mark. I'm mm. going to take that away. You know, we're, we're, you know, there's going to be murders, isn't there? But we do it as boxers. And, you know, and a lot of the times, is it because our brain isn't switched on? You know, I, I know you have... Um, People like Mickey Driscoll, you know, who, who works with England Talent as the head of England Talent, saying, "Okay, as a performance coach, even don't leave your brains at the door. Mm. Don't leave your brains at the door." But, but of course, mm. traditionally we do, don't we? We 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 get in and we do something repetitively that doesn't need our brains to be switched on. So it, we're it, giving it, away that three percent. That's right. But when you're saying that to young boxers. It's, it's just it's just words unless what they're experiencing is a training environment where they're actually using their brains absolutely absolutely so is our practice design is our our session setup actually going to start them using their brains right from the start um yeah absolutely so you know is even if it's little games silly games and i know people might sort of turn their eyes up at this little games like playing paper scissors stone you know hand slaps uh, mm. little silly games that might appear silly and frivolous but actually mm. what's been switched on the brains have been switched on right from the start there's fun there's a smile on the face and I guarantee mm. the rest of that session is you know clocks in at an 8, 9 or a 10 whereas if we say right everyone's going to warm up for 15 minutes doing skipping four, five, six rounds of skipping there's mm. probably um, there's probably a lot of uh, the brain switching off because I remember skipping and I just think about what I'm doing tonight or what was, what did I do yesterday? And I'm not really concentrating on this. So, so my brain's not switched on. It's not really fired up, um, but we nah. tend to do that a little bit too often. So I think we need to challenge that. So, you know, little, little workshops like sharing ideas on warm ups, um, or I think they call them in, in education energizers. 
of how they can actually switch on and bring energy to the um, to the session is something that we need to share a little bit more on. But I think ultimately, mate, you know, boxing is about education. You know, we both work in education, um, and it's how we can actually bring uh, stimulate their minds so that their actual performance is gonna is gonna sort of um, is gonna rise. You know, during the training sessions and during performance. I, I, just to finish off, I mean, I'll, I'll go all the way back to Ray Arcel again, right? And there's a quote from him, right, where um, it, his important principles of coaching. And um, what what he said was, he said then, um, he said the you you any trainer has to have a fighter who can fight. You might teach him, you might show him, but this man you're working with has to learn the characteristics that spell success, and they are. Mental energy, self-control, determination. But he says the most important is mental energy, how to think. He says when you're in that ring by yourself, you've got to know what you're doing and what you're facing. You can't fall asleep. And, and, that, and that's, the, the, that's the quote from Ray Arcel, all the way back to the 1920s, 1930s. But that is exactly what Anatoly Lomachenko is doing with Vasily. That's amazing. That, you know, that, what what a way to sign that off. And you know, I, I suppose that's going to be a uh, another challenge that I'm going to set myself is, can I create an environment next time that I'm training my guys to get them to think all the time rather than yeah. me doing the thinking for them. Yeah. Listen, mate, it's been it's been wow. Well. I mean, there's there's been so many rabbit holes that we've gone down there. We could talk for hours and hours and hours on this, and I'm sure we will do off uh, offline as well. But it's been absolutely brilliant, mate. Um, you know, it, it is the ultimate pub discussion. You know, the old school versus the new school, and yeah. um, and I really thank uh, thanks a lot for your input, mate. It's, it's been fantastic. No, it's great. Lo- loved it. Cheers. All great, great stuff, Adam. Yeah, all the best, mate. Thanks again. Cheers, mate. Bye bye. Bye bye. So, coaches, boxers, listeners, what are you guys taking away from that? Uh, For me, the ability to take ideas, approaches from both schools, as long as there are learning principles behind what you do and if it's the right approach for your specific boxer is the main thing I'll be taking from that discussion with Mark. Uh, So, if you're listening on the Anchor app, please send me a voice message uh, about your thoughts on on the subject. Uh, If you're listening on any other platform, Please add your opinions to the three social media pages. So that's the Boxing Coaches Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So I hope you really enjoyed that, guys. It was a fantastic uh, pub conversation, if you will, uh, with myself and Mark. And look forward to episode number number 27 even next week. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. liked this podcast similar content and discussions can be found at the box gathering the box gathering is a social initiative born out of the ashes of the first lockdown in march 2020 we provide a platform where coaches boxers officials and boxing enthusiasts can join together online to discuss various boxing topics it's free to join and upgrade options offer unlimited access to all our live gatherings campfire videos and coaching resources join today at www.theboxgathering.co.uk